Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3, as we uh, continue in our series, we're calling Sufficient. And while you're turning there, I I just want to remind you by way of context that uh, Paul had some who were criticizing him, and a part of what he's doing here early in the letter uh, is defending uh, his apostleship, his authority, but especially uh, his character and, and where his real trust is. So in 2 Corinthians 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth, and we pray that you would use the the words of this letter that you have used down through the centuries, use them in our lives today, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are on Mother's Day. And it, it might be interesting for some of you uh, today to uh, talk with your, your children or your family about maybe some of those rules that uh, your mother had for you. Um, some of them, as I thought back this week about ones that I grew up with, uh, uh, just make me laugh. I remember one specifically that was so hard to follow, and that was that that uh, my mom always after uh, after we would eat a meal, uh, if we were uh, by a swimming pool or at a hotel or something, we had to wait one hour before we could get into the pool. And she she always told us, "You'll you'll get cramps." And I was, I was thoroughly convinced that if I got in one minute before that hour, that I would sink straight to the bottom of the pool, and that, that would be the end of me. So there, there are those kinds of rules uh, that may bring back some fun memories. But, but then there may be others, like I, I've thought of, that I actually passed on to my children. And they might have found them strange or funny too, but, uh, but they are there. Now, as, as we 
think about, about rules in our life. Uh, here at St. Andrews, we're, we're talking and praying about uh, how we will go about regathering as a congregation when that time uh, comes. And there's going to be some things that we are going to uh, need to do differently. I hate to call them rules, but there'll be uh, ways that we will do things. But suppose that when that time comes, uh, we told you all of those things that we're going to be do, doing differently. Um, <clears throat> but then I also said, and you know, I've, I've been thinking about this, that uh, I, I don't think we have enough rules here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And so uh, when we regather, uh, here's, here's some new rules that, that we're going to, to implement. Um, this is a rule for, for everyone, for, for men and women and people of all ages. Uh, there'll be no tobacco use, no beverage use of alcohol. Uh, you cannot go to uh, movie theaters. Uh, for you men, uh, on Sundays you need to wear a full suit, a dark suit, and a, a tie, uh, preferably a, a black or, or dark blue suit. Um, outside of church, uh, you, you can't wear short pants. That's, uh, that's not being discreet. Uh, you, you all need to have short haircuts, uh, preferably much like mine, uh, whatever that is at the moment. And uh, also, you, you won't be allowed to go anywhere uh, uh, like a, a beach or a swimming pool where uh, there are men and women both there. Uh, you ladies, uh, you need to always wear dresses, not just at church, but all the time. Uh, they need to be down, down below the knee. Uh, you, can, you can wear makeup. In fact, you, you must wear makeup, and uh, we encourage a, a heavy use of, of makeup because um, that's, that's what women ought to do. And do not cut your hair. Uh, children, you, same rules. Uh, if you're a boy or a girl, those rules apply to you. Now, when I, as I say those things, all of a sudden quarantine doesn't sound so bad, does it? <laughs> uh, when, when you think of those kinds of things. Now, let me quickly clarify. I would never do that. We at St. Andrews, would never make those kinds of rules. Uh, in fact, we don't make rules here at St. Andrews about how we are uh, to live as, as Christians. So where did I come up with those? Well, sadly, every single one of those rules that I just mentioned, I have either had people come to churches that I have served as the pastor and come from churches where those were actual rules in those churches or I have come in contact with churches where those were the rules. And the sad thing about it is that's a form of bondage and it can be 
a spiritual bondage. Now, nothing I said is wrong if that's your personal practice. What we're talking about is a church or someone else imposing a rule on us, saying, if you want to be right with God, this is what you must do. For some, in those kinds of situations, it actually becomes a source of their security and their confidence before the Lord. So let's see what Paul has to say about the right source of confidence before the Lord and even how he would address that wrong kind of confidence. So the the first thing I see here in this passage is that there is a confidence that is uh, appropriate. Uh, Look at verse 4. It says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Now, last week the the message, the the name of it, and and what we brought out was the, the whole idea is that uh, we are not sufficient in and of ourselves, uh, but Christ is. Uh, I can't, but he can. We aren't sufficient to do what he calls us to do, but he is the one that's sufficient. Now, as I said, Paul had his detractors, and some were saying that uh, no one should listen to Paul. He had no credibility, and this is how he deals with it. He talks about where his confidence really is. Down in verse 5, and that is that uh, it's not in our own abilities. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. So Paul, in all likelihood, uh, while he was being criticized, began to look deeply into his own heart and and that's what tends to happen when you are uh, being criticized. You, you tend to do some soul searching. And he, he, he basically says, yes, this, this confidence is, is not in me. In, in other words, he's saying, I, I didn't measure myself against everyone else and determine that I was the best one here, but instead, my confidence is not in my own ability. And then he goes on to say where his confidence has come from, and that's in the last part of verse 5 and the first part of uh, verse 6, that it's only in God's sufficiency. He he puts it this way. uh, After he said, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Now there's the title of our series again. Hopefully already you can see why I I chose the name sufficient for this this series. He he talks here about sufficiency, and in these two verses he uses the same root word uh, pertaining to sufficiency. He uses it in three different forms in these two verses. And so here's the genius of, of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
his critics call him weak and call him uh, lacking the resources of a minister of the gospel. And Paul, in essence, says, you're exactly right. I am weak. I, I am not uh, sufficient to do the things that I am called to do as a minister of the gospel. I'm not competent. But then he goes on to explain. He says, my sufficiency is only in God who has made us uh, sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So Paul strongly establishes where his confidence comes from, but very quickly qualifies it to make sure that, that uh, they don't fall into a trap that really uh, speaks to uh, really one of our default modes. And here's what I mean. Our default as human beings is to want to rely on what we can do. And a lot of you were brought up that way. You can do it. And instilling confidence in yourself and being a strong person. So that becomes our default in spiritual things too. Where we can tend to rely on ourselves and not what the Holy Spirit must do through us if it is to be accomplished. Let me explain, and, and let's, that brings us to the second uh, point that he, he makes here, and that is that there is a confidence that is actually spiritually dangerous. Uh, again, the, in the second part of verse 6, uh, he, he says, uh, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. So that's what he is uh, he's clarifying very quickly. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So what's he talking about here? What is the letter? Well, typically we think of that as the, the letter of the, of the law. And Paul was very qualified to talk about the danger of keeping only the letter of the law. He understood firsthand uh, the dangers of that, how it kills. In fact, his outward keeping of the law before he uh, came to, to know the Lord Jesus Christ, his outward keeping of the law gave him a real confidence in his flesh. Let's go again to Philippians 3. We've looked at this a, a couple of times in verse 5, he says this, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, there it is, I have more. Saying, you, you want to say you have confidence in the flesh? I've got a lot more reason than you. And then he lists things that would have meant an awful lot to the Jews of that day. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, and that really says it all. They would have been impressed by that. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul would say, 
all of those things, let me tell you what the letter of the law got me, what following the letter of the law without the Spirit, where it got me, I was spiritually dead. We see over in 1 Timothy uh, 1, verse 13, he describes himself this way. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. In other words, he, he's saying, I kept the, the, the letter of the law outwardly, but inwardly I was a lawbreaker. I was under judgment. I was an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator put it this way. Outward conformity to the law had been a hypocritical cloak covering the inward corruption of his heart. You see, that hid what was really on the inside. Now Paul, he didn't invent this. He's just reflecting Jesus' very concern. We see back in Matthew 23, Jesus uh, talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Here's what he says in Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see what he's saying? The tombs in that day, they they would have, as it were, painted the outside of them, whitewashed them would have been their term, uh, to, to make them look neat and clean and all that. But everyone understood what was going on inside the tomb. There was corruption. And he said, you Pharisees, that's what you are. You, on the outside, you, you look perfect. You look great. People are impressed by you. But on the inside, you're rotting away because your heart is not with your actions. So what's the answer? Well, he says, yes, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 6 again. So how's the Spirit give life? Well, here we do a little theology. This is what we would call regeneration. And what that means is when God's Holy Spirit takes a, a heart that is dead because of sin, that can't seek God, and makes a new heart. That's regeneration. And that's what he's talking about here. Now here's how it worked with the law. For those who, who try to be right with God by keeping the law, they're going to fail. It's, it's going to lead to death. But those who, by the Spirit, trust in Christ alone, there is life. Because the Spirit leads to Christ. 
And that's where life is. So we have Jesus who is the perfect God-man in terms of the nature of Christ. He's perfectly God and perfectly man. As, as God, he is the law-giver. And as a man, he was the only law-keeper. No one else ever perfectly kept the law. So what's that mean? Well, because he kept the law, he didn't have to pay for his own sins because he didn't have sins, so he was able to pay the penalty for our failure to be able to keep the law. For our law-breaking, he paid for that on the cross. Now contrast, let's contrast that just for a moment with, with other religions. Other religions stress that the way to God is the letter of the law. Now I'm not saying necessarily the Ten Commandments. Some religions acknowledge that, others, others don't. But the letter of the law in the sense of whatever that religion demands. So keeping that is what will get you to God according to other religions. It's trying to work your way to God. And in, in trying to work your way to God, it is being obedient to whatever your book or your set of laws in your religion demand but here's the sad thing even if you do all of those things you really don't know if you've done enough whether or not you've achieved it so here's what it does that keeps you working but it keeps you in bondage and it takes the joy away and it becomes duty only. Now, we're still contrasting. Look at Christianity. Christianity alone teaches freedom. Here's what Paul says about that and we'll look in this passage next week, but Looking ahead in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Augustine put it this way, and it was in a sermon he did on love, on love of God. He said, Love God and do as you will. Now, you can't misinterpret that to say, yeah, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter because the first part of that is the key. If you really, really love God, then that which you will will be that which pleases Him. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship with Christ. Now, 
let me describe the plight of the Jews in Jesus' day. And then we'll hear from him, from what Jesus' response to that was. <clears throat> in Jesus' day, uh, a, a yoke would be a body of teaching. That was the term for uh, this, the, this body of teaching. Here's what I mean by that. Um, the yoke that the, the Jews were responsible to keep would start with the Ten Commandments and then all of the things that we know in the Old Testament that flesh out what the Ten Commandments uh, mean. And then on top of that, what the Jews were responsible for would be to, to keep four other uh, bodies of teachings and stay perfectly in conformity to those. So you have the commandments, the other scriptural teachings, then begin to pile these other four things on, on top of that. The, the first one, don't worry about these terms, but the first one would be the Mishnah, which would be a, a very elaborate uh, reiteration of the law with embellishments, with commentary. And then secondly, the Midrash, which were volumes of the minutest explanations uh, of the meaning of every part of the law. And then on top of that, thirdly, would be the Talmud, which would be a formulation of the law into doctrine. It, It was of tremendous length. And then on top of that would be the massive comments and legal decisions of uh, the rabbis. Now, just to think about the accumulation. That's like, that's like me saying, you know, you, you need to not only do everything in the, in the Scripture, but uh, every writing of John Calvin, of Martin Luther, of John Owen, uh, you have to uh, not only master all of those but live in conformity to them. And that would be, that'd be a whole bookshelf full of things. For the Jew to live right, they had to be in harmony with all of those things. And if someone tried, at best, it would be frustrating. And it would become a, a painful uncertainty of where you stood before God. And more often than that, it was worst. It, it, it would be a gnawing anxiety that never gets satisfied because of our unsureness. So do you see what a huge burden the people in Jesus' day were living under and how, how hopeless they must have felt when one would talk about having a relationship and being pleasing to God. That was the yoke that they were under. To that, Jesus said this. We read it in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy. You get it? My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. There is a physical tiredness that is going on right now in our world that I think is just extraordinary. And there is a weariness with all that people are going through. But that pales in comparison to being in spiritual bondage, which is trying to work your way to God and being utterly unable to do so. So because we, we can't work our way to God, God came to us. Jesus took on flesh and became one of us, still fully God, but fully man. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he died the death on the cross that we deserved to die. He fulfilled the letter of the law so that we could have freedom and life in the Spirit of God. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace. Let's bow together. Lord, thank you that we can trust Jesus when he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Thank you for his gracious invitation to, to we who are are weary and heavy laden. We would ask for his rest, for peaceful hearts, knowing that whatever's going on around us, that in Jesus Christ, there is peace with you, Father. Thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, amen.